What's up, Gospel City? All right, praise the Lord for you. Man, I'm so excited you guys are here. My name's Tyler Holder. I'm our pastor of men's and young adult discipleship. And if you have your Bibles with you today, open them to a familiar passage. John chapter 15 is where we will be camping out again this morning. Now, as you do, I want to begin with a little bit of a controversial statement, okay? If you could, think back to your childhood and recall the present that gave you the most joy. You got it in your mind? Here's the controversial statement. As a child of the late 80s and early 90s, we had the market on the coolest toys. Y'all can't argue with that, okay? Now, I'll prove it to you. Stretch Armstrong. Y'all remember Stretch Armstrong? Filled with cornstarch, and then when you would break it, it would ruin everything. Y'all don't remember? Okay, hold on. Pound puppies. Come on. Somebody give me an amen for pound puppies, okay? The Commodore 64. Yeah, dot matrix printers. That wasn't a toy, it was just a bother, right? Right. When I think back on my childhood and the joy that I experienced from so many of these presents, I remember a time in 1990, 1991, I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and as a young boy opening up gifts on Christmas morning, man, I am elated because the, the buffet is before me, right? Man, is it going to be a pound puppy? I don't know. Is it going to be a chia pet? It could be. Is it going to be Stretch Armstrong? Maybe. And then as I begin to unwrap these gifts that my parents are giving me, I'm a Chicago Blackhawks fan at the time. Not now, but at the time I was. And they give me the first gift, and it's a Blackhawks jersey. And, man, can I tell you, my inner Wayne Gretzky went crazy. I was so excited to get that jersey. Man, I'm unwrapping it. And then, like any parent does, they save the best gifts for last, don't they? And they reach behind the tree, and they pull it out. And it's hard to wrap a hockey stick without you knowing what it is, right? And they give it to me and I unwrap it, man. I'm like, oh my gosh, can't, you got me a new hockey stick. And it came with this caveat. And my mom's wise because I'm the youngest of three boys. And here was the caveat. Tyler, Patrick, Andy, listen, there will be no hockey in the house. Okay, mom. Man, my joy was so over, overwhelming. And then it happened, that fateful moment on Christmas morning when one of my brothers, accidental I'm sure, high-sticked me in the face. And, and as I'm on my way to the hospital with blood and tears streaming down my face, the last thing I'm thinking about is the joy that that Blackhawks jersey and stick brought me. The last thing I'm doing in that moment is caressing my hockey stick going, thank you. Thank you for the stitches you gave me. I am so excited that you hit me in the face. It is such a great moment and occasion for us and our history together. The thing that gave me joy caused me great pain and sorrow. And here in John 15, we're, we're about to examine John 15, 11, and we're going to camp out in this moment with Jesus declaring to us that you and I, if we are abiding, obedient disciples, we have access to his joy. But here's the thing. If we define joy by an experience, by a circumstance, by a feeling or an emotion, then any thinking person would look at the life of Jesus and realize that they don't want his joy. Because the life that Jesus promises an abiding, faithful, obedient disciple is a life 
that is, yes, blessed, yes, exciting, yes, has the promises of God, but yet offers persecution and pain. And if the example of our joy died on a cross in wretched pain and torment, then why in the world would we ever want his joy? Now here's the rub. For you and I today, one of two things is true. Either we need to reshape and redefine what joy is and and view joy through the lens of an abiding, obedient, gospel-centered joy, or we simply come to the conclusion in John 15, verse 11, that, man, Jesus is lying to me and his joy is nothing that I want. Could I present to you today, Gospel City, that Jesus isn't lying to us? That Jesus isn't coming onto the scene in John 15 going, I'm going to get him with this one. Rather, we need to reshape and reform our definition of joy so that we might better see the joy that Jesus offers. So today, here's my hope. My hope for us today is that we will see the path that leads to fullness of joy. And that in that path, we would reshape our definition of joy and simply examine three qualities of the joy that Jesus promises us. But before we do that, before we jump into John 15 today, I'd love to pray for us, and then we'll get into our text. Father, you are worthy, and we are needy. May that be the posture of our heart. May we trust not in ourselves or in the circumstances that surround us. May we not get caught up in what we have perceived brings joy. But, Father, may we honestly examine your word and see the promise that you give us. For, Father, you've promised that your joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. So we simply ask, as an abiding, obedient disciple, give us your joy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to read the whole text for us this morning. We've read it multiple times over the past seven weeks. We're going to read it again because it's that awesome. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, we'll go through verse 12. This is what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declares. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, this is where we'll spend our time this morning. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
See, Jesus here in verse 11, he begins our time together by giving us a summary statement. Notice what he says. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Now that should trigger in our minds and recall where Jesus is here in the Gospel of John. You see, in John 14 through 17, Jesus is, is in the final hours, the final moments of his time with his disciples. In fact, in John 14, the precursor to our text this morning, what we see is Jesus chilling with his disciples at the Last Supper. We see Judas having just fled to betray him to the high priest. And Jesus is looking at the remaining 11 and saying, please, please remain with me. Abide with me. Don't leave like Judas. Prove yourself to be a disciple by being obedient and abiding in me. Remain. Just stay. It's all you got to do. Just stay. He's reminding them of all that he has spoken. He's moments away from the Garden of Gethsemane. He's moments away from weeping blood. He's moments away from being nailed to a cross for your sins and mine. He's mere moments away, and yet he takes a step back, pauses, looks at his disciples, and reminds them of what they have in him. In John 15, what we've already seen is that if we abide, if we remain, if we nest, if we stay, then we have union with God through Christ. If we abide, we can expect pruning because pruning produces fruit. And fruit is what happens when the stick is connected to the vine. How encouraged have you been to be called a stick these past seven weeks? Anybody? Right? I just love that thought. You know why I love that thought? Because the stick isn't dependent upon anything but the vine, and the vine is what gives him life. Man, if your relationship with Christ, if who you are in Jesus was dependent upon you as if you were something and not just a stick, oh, man, you'd jack it up. I would. He tells us if we abide, then we will produce fruit. We can trust that our abiding relationship with Christ will yield answers in prayer. If we abide the cascading chocolate fountain, I almost had a sausage gravy fountain today to show us what it would be like, right? That cascading chocolate sausage fountain gravy of God's love would go to the sun and the sun would go to us as disciples and we in turn pour out God's love to the world. Oh, that we would abide. If we abide, then we obey. Because abiding means we obey. With all of this in view, Jesus comes into verse 11 and he says, yo, these things, remember what I've said. Remember who I am. Remember what I've given you. These things I have spoken to you for one thing, for one purpose, so that my joy may be in you. <sighs> what an amazing statement. Just pause for a minute and realize what Jesus has just declared to you, that his joy might be in you as we obey and abide in the vine. Jesus gives us access to his joy, but for you and I, we need to begin with redefining what joy is. When you consider joy from an abiding gospel-centered perspective, this is the definition that you'll come up with. Joy is simply this, the state of delight and well-being that comes from knowing God. From serving God and, and contemplating our salvation and eternity with him. Do you know what this definition of joy does for you? This definition of joy, rooted in the gospel, 
founded upon Christ himself. This allows you to withstand pain, heartache, turmoil, and 2020. This definition of joy doesn't shift and change on the waves of feeling, culture, or emotion. When joy is rooted in a delight and well-being that comes from knowing God, what we realize and see is that our joy is fixed on the focal point of Christ and Christ alone. Knowing him, serving him, and contemplating as an abiding, obedient disciple, reflecting on the life that God has given you in Christ. Focusing our eyes on the eternity that is to come. This is a type of joy that is unwavering. This is a type of joy that even when you're high-sticked in the face, Wayne Gretzky style, you can still have. This is the type of joy that Jesus promises to give an abiding, obedient disciple. So with this definition of joy, with joy being in direct relation to our abiding in Christ, with joy being the fruit and in direct proportion to how we abide, how we obey, we realize that joy isn't something we can create. Joy isn't something that I can muster. Joy isn't something that's dependent upon me. Rather, joy is a spirit-filled, abiding, obedient disciple's fruit. That's what joy is. So just take a minute and consider. And if Drew Carey were here and the price is right, wheel is up here and we're spinning that wheel and we're rating our joy-o-meter with that definition in mind, where's your joy today? Where's your joy today? Have you placed your joy in things that are temporal, shifting, and won't last? Where is your joy, abiding, obedient disciple? Remember the things that Jesus has just declared. Remember what he's promised. Remember who he is. And remember the gift that he gives us. So this morning, if if you check out of the rest of my sermon, that's totally fine. Just hear this one thing, okay? That joy, this joy is completely unprecedented in the lens of the world. That a joy that's not dependent on circumstance, feeling, emotion, that doesn't change, is unknown to them. And that this joy that is fixed and fulfilling despite circumstance, despite change, despite emotion, despite feeling, is what an abiding disciple has. And that type of joy is so beautiful to a world that doesn't understand it. That's the joy that Jesus gives you. So now that we have this working definition of joy, let's examine three primary qualities that Jesus' promise of joy gives us. And the first is found in verse 11, and it's simply this, that my joy is established through obedience. Notice the flow of John 15. It's very intentional. Jesus doesn't make mistakes or kind of speak haphazardly like I often will. If you've known me for any stretch of time, you know I oftentimes will speak before I think, and then I won't think at all, and I won't know why you're mad. No? No close friends of mine are in here. That's fine. That's fine. Stay with me long enough, and you'll realize it. But the flow of John 15, it's very intentional. Jesus, in addressing us in John 15, begins with abiding. He tells us we have to remain. We have to stay. We have to nest. We have to be connected. And then from our abiding, that chocolate fountain, sausage gravy fountain, abiding, what we begin to realize is is that abiding isn't the only thing that we are to do as a disciple. We are to obey. We're to obey. And out of the fruit of our obedience and abiding is the promise of joy. 
realize that obedience is the road by which joy will freely travel. Now, if you're a parent, you realize this already. That when you tell your son or daughter something that will prevent them from harm, you're not killing their joy, you're giving them access to greater joy. So when my mother on Christmas morning told us that the Stanley Cup final shouldn't be in our living room, what she was doing is she was giving me access to greater joy. She wasn't killing the joy that I had. She was smart enough to know that we were idiots and that one of us would go to the hospital. It just happened to me. I just drew the card that morning, right? Joy flows best and only on the road of obedience. Realize for you and I today, Jesus isn't declaring anything new, is he? We've been soaking in this for seven weeks. That to say that obedience is the fruit or is the root that produces the fruit of joy shouldn't come to a surprise. It shouldn't surprise you at all. Realize that a true disciple abides with Jesus. Abiding means we are obeying. And when we obey what God has commanded, joy is the result. But here's the problem. The problem is I have a rebellious spirit. The problem is, is that my rebellious spirit wages war against that truth. My rebellious spirit declares to me, Tyler, obedience doesn't bring joy, autonomy does. Tyler, if you were to obey all that God has commanded, joy would not be the end result. What would be the end result is something that is vastly different than joy. Instead of pursuing what God has declared is right and true, pursue what you want, Tyler. Can I tell you something? There's seasons in my life where I believe that lie. Where I believe that obedience doesn't equal joy. My autonomy does. My own pursuits do. And if I'm honest with you, a lot of you believe that lie as well. I know this because I see it play out in your lives. I see it play out in the lives of young men and young women who have exchanged this truth for the lie that they should seize the day, that they should blaze their own path and do whatever feels right to them. And at the end, what happens is, is they're left in a smoldering mess. They've derailed their lives and they're wondering where God is in the midst of it. I've seen this play out in the lives of men who have exchanged this truth for the lie that position or pleasure or pornography are better than obedience. And when their life melts down around them, I'm left holding God's word. You're left holding God's word to those you love, saying the truth has been here the whole time. I see it play out in families. I see it play out in young women's lives. I see it play out in my own children's lives. Where the idea of obedience chides against me. Because, man, we are raised to think we are free, free indeed. And yet what Jesus declares to us right here is that an abiding disciple is an obedient disciple. And an obedient disciple yields the fruit of joy. And not just any joy, not just the world's joy, which is passing with every moment, but Jesus' joy. Realize the gift that he offers you, Gospel City. Realize the declaration he's making to you. That abide in him, be obedient to what he's commanded. And yes, at the end of the day, 
his joy will be in you. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come with daffodils and buttercups. That's not the type of joy he declares to you. His joy is eternal and everlasting. Joy, remember, is this state of delight, the state of well-being that comes from knowing God, serving him, and contemplating our salvation and eternity with him. Our greatest joy comes through our obedience, abiding in the vine. That's what Jesus declares in John 15, 11. So today, could it be, could it be that we've spent seven weeks soaking in a sermon series on abiding and we've missed that abiding equals obeying and obeying results in fruit. And the fruit that we yield is joy. Could it be that we chide and we kick against the concept that I must be obedient and instead, we buy into the lie that autonomy is better than obedience. We might not say it like that because to say it like that makes us sound prideful. We say it differently, don't we? We say things like, man, God, that's just so hard. I can't do that. Man, God, I, are you sure? Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's right there. He didn't make a mistake. Realize, no excuse we make. No excuse we make can remove what Jesus has just declared. He's declared to you to be an abiding, obedient disciple, living and soaking in the fruit of joy that he promises. So for you and I, realize that my joy, your joy, is established first through obedience. Don't believe the lie that says obedience is counterintuitive to joy. Believe what Jesus has declared. Not only is our joy rooted in obedience, but secondly, Jesus' joy is in me. I love what he promises. He's, he declares something so beautiful. He says, hey, hey, just so you know, abiding disciple that's connected to me and is obeying me, realize I've spoken to you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Y'all got to hit the pause button for a second and just realize what, again, he's just declared to you. Realize that his joy, what he gives us is far greater, far better than anything you could ever offer. Anything you could ever have. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the universe, who bore the weight of your sins on the cross, who grants you access to God the Father has just declared to you, has just made a promise to you. Yo, my joy is yours. My joy is yours. You know what I love about the promises of God? They're not dependent upon me. I don't know if you know this, but I'm an idiot. And if it were dependent upon me, man, I'd jack it up every time. Jesus doesn't declare to you and I, hey, if, if you work hard enough, my joy is yours. He doesn't declare to us that, man, if you were just gritted out through the hard times, man, I promise joy's coming. No, 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 no. He declares to us, abide, obey, joy's the result. Abide, obey, joy is the result. But we have to ask the question, as we look at John 15, 11, when Jesus declares that his joy may be in us, the question we ask is how? How and what is his joy? 
It's not like Jesus just magically plops joy into your life one day that wasn't there the prior, right? That's not what he does. It's not like a flyby plopping. That's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus declares to us something specific. And for you and I to get a proper glimpse of what his joy is, I, I would love to invite you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Keep your finger here in John 15. It's important for us to see this. Because in Hebrews 12, what we'll see is, is the example of Jesus' joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews comes onto the scene and he begins in verse 1. And he's going to paint a picture for us of the joy that Jesus has. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, this is what the writer of Hebrews declares. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us in verse 1. He's reminding us that as abiding, obedient disciples of Christ, we aren't alone in this journey. You know what I love about baptism? Baptism is an outward confession of an inward transformation. And those waters have been stirred countless times by disciples who have come before us. We're not in this life with Christ on our own. We have examples to follow. He declares to us, man, there is a great cloud of witnesses. There are men and women who have gone before you who have been faithful to Christ. And man, if you're a disciple of Jesus, then lay aside. Get rid of that sin that clings so closely to you. Get rid of it. Get, get it away. Throw it away. Realize that for you and I as an abiding disciple, we should get rid of the sin that's clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The author of Hebrews paints a picture in our mind of what our life with Christ looks like as an abiding, obedient disciple. In Gospel City, could I encourage you this morning and get rid of that junk which clings so closely to you. Get rid of the sin that so easily entangles you, which traps you. And instead of indulging that, thinking it'll bring you joy, focus on the author and perfecter of your faith. His name is Jesus. And when we do, when we have as our focal point on this race of life, when we have the focal point of Christ, the unmovable, unshaking focal point of Jesus, realize that we will begin to unpack and see the joy that he has experienced. Notice what it says. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you're like me, when I read Hebrews 12 too, my mind immediately goes to that motivational picture. You know which one I'm talking about? The real skinny runner, which is never attainable by me. Crossing that finish line in Hebrews 12 too is printed. No, nobody knows that picture. The motivate, okay, maybe, maybe, okay, how about the coffee cup? Y'all got the coffee cup, right? The Hebrews 12 too coffee cup, right? Run with endurance and it's got that verse printed on there. No, okay. Y'all need some better coffee cups and pictures in your homes. I don't know what y'all drinking out of. Realize when we come to Hebrews 12 too, the danger for us is 
is that a familiar verse will lose its impact. That a verse which we may have tattooed on our bodies or on a coffee cup or on a mural in our home loses its impact at times. Don't let the power of this verse pass. Realize what we've just been told is that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, had joy set before him as he endured the cross. Remember where we are in John 15. He's hours away from enduring the cross. He's mere moments away from being betrayed into the hands of sinners. There's a cadre of soldiers forming right now in John 15 to march to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest our Savior. Realize that for him, for Christ to look at the cross and and approach it with joy is crazy to us. Jesus is about to get beaten and scourged. His body is about to become unrecognizable. He is going to go through such torment and pain. His neurons are going to be firing and shouting because of the pain that is happening to him. He's going to have a crown of thorns nailed upon his head. He's going to be disrobed and nailed to a Roman cross. And Hebrews 12, 2 said he did that with joy. Do you want to know why Jesus had joy approaching the cross? He had joy approaching the cross because he knew that the cross would bring reconciliation. That the cross would bring redemption and that the cross was absolutely necessary for you and I to experience joy. For apart from our confession of faith, for apart from repenting of our sins and placing our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, not dependent on our works, not dependent upon who I am, but apart from that confession, the weight of our sin still resides upon our shoulders. Hear me, Gospel City. Jesus bore the weight of your sin on the cross. He endured the pain, despising its shame because he saw the future that it would bring. Countless people coming to the gates of heaven through his blood. But were we not to repent, were we not to confess him as Lord and Savior, then the burden of our sin resides on our shoulders. And we will bear that pain. And we will bear that weight. There's a clarion call in the gospel to turn from your sins, to turn from your wicked ways, and to follow him. For that's the path that leads to redemption. That's the path that leads to joy. Realize that the cross was painful. The cross was horrific. The cross mutilated our Savior, but the cross was absolutely necessary. So that we might have access to God the Father. And that invitation is for you and me today as well. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we now have access through faith, not by works, to our reconciled relationship with God. And it begins with confession. It begins with repentance. And the joy that Jesus has in Hebrews 12, 2, and the joy that he promises in John 15, 11, that joy is rooted in resurrection. That joy that he gives us is accomplished through the cross. The joy that he shows us is founded upon his unquestioning obedience to the Father. That joy is life-giving. That joy is not fleeting. That joy doesn't dissipate. That joy doesn't ebb and flow. That joy is a firm foundation. 
But again, if you're like me, and again, I, I just make assumptions about you. Can I make, a, can I make assumptions about you? I will, and I'm sure they're not right. But here's my assumption. My assumption is you're more like me than I like to think. And even though I can know the truth of what's just been declared, that Jesus gives us joy, that we have joy because of the accomplishment he's done on the cross, even though I know that truth, I will search for substitutes all the time. I don't know if you're like me. But man, I, I am quick to search for a joy substitute. I'm quick to search for joy and instant gratification. That's why I eat that chocolate cake. I'm quick to search for joy in the praise of men. I'm quick to search for joy in the accomplishments of myself or my kids or my wife. I am quick to search for joy in any pleasure, in any lust, in any gain, in any substance that I think will give it to me. I am quick to exchange the joy that Jesus offers because I've bought into the lie that God's a killjoy and my joy is dependent upon myself. And realize this, realize when we buy into this lie, what we're buying into and what we're saying is that Jesus' words aren't true. Oh, that we would be reminded of the truth of John 15, 11. Oh, that we would be brought back to the vine as we abide, remain, as we obey. I love what Thomas Aquinas, a theologian from the 1200s said. In writing, he says, man cannot live without joy. Therefore, when he is deprived of true spiritual joys, it is necessary that he become addicted to carnal pleasures. Do you want to know why the world pursues the things it does? Because they're searching for a joy they don't have. Do you want to know why you buy into a lie so easily? That joy is found in something other than Jesus? Because when you're born, you're born in sin pursuing these carnal pleasures. If you don't believe me, go volunteer in Gospel Kids. My kids are over there, it's fine. Realize, when we forget the joy Jesus offers, we will quickly search for substitutes and other things. Oh, that we would be brought back to the cross. Oh, that we would be brought back to the joy that Jesus provides. The third and final quality of joy this morning is simply this, that my joy is evidence of my abiding. Notice again, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is a vital fruit for a disciple of Jesus. Draw your minds to Galatians chapter 5 when we are introduced to the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. The fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. There is a joy in us that is founded upon the obedience of Jesus, rooted in his resurrection, and is a consistent reminder that our state of delight, our state of well-being is not dependent upon circumstance. It's not dependent upon emotion or occasion. Our joy is what enables us to endure 2020 and not lose hope. Our joy as an abiding, obedient disciple is what allows us to look at Tuesday and realize that an election will come and go, but our king reigns forever. Our joy is what allows us, rooted in our abiding, obedient relationship to Jesus, to leave here on mission for Christ, showing the world the joy they won't understand. That's what our joy allows us to do. Our joy is evidence of our 
abiding. A joyless disciple is not an abiding disciple, by the way. A joyless disciple is an oxymoron. Remember that we have access to Jesus' joy when we abide in him. God's love has been poured out to his son. His son has poured out his love to us as disciples who have repented and believed the gospel for our salvation. And now we take that joy, we take that obedience, we take that abiding, and we pour it out to a world that vastly needs it. Oh, that we would be hope-filled joy-saturated, fruit-producing, abiding, obedient disciples. That's what Jesus gives us in John 15. That's the power of a relationship with Christ. As we consider this path to fullness of joy, as we examine the steps that we have to take, we have to remember it's not like the world's path to joy. Our path in Christ as an abiding, obedient disciple is the only path to joy. It is the path to joy everlasting. And for us today, realize that this path, this path is difficult. This path is set before you. And whether or not we will follow it isn't determined by where we're sitting today. It's determined by what we do when we leave. Do you believe that joy is the fruit of an obedient, abiding disciple? Do you believe that what Jesus has just declared in John 15, 11 is true? If you do, then it will impact what happens when you leave. It will change how you view life. It will make a difference. And if it doesn't, then reflect back and see, am I abiding in the vine? Am I obedient to God's commands? Do I possess his joy? So Gospel City, if we're to go out and show the joy of what abiding in Christ looks like, then we have to put clarity on our path. So for us today, the path that leads to fullness of joy, it begins with abiding in the vine. And we've said it countless times over the last seven weeks. There is such power when we abide in the life-giving vine of Jesus. Not only that, but realize that that path then recognizes that obedience is the road that joy freely travels. That obedience is the road that joy freely travels. That our joy is dependent upon our obedience and our obedience is a reflection of our abiding. Thirdly, that path leads us to realize that joy, that joy that's rooted in Jesus, it abandons any other substitute. Your pursuit of carnal pleasure Cast it off. Seeking the praise of men, throw it aside. Indulging the sinful flesh, cast it away. Have no substitute for the joy that Jesus promises. And if we do, what we'll see is that joy is rooted in the delight and well-being that comes from knowing God, from serving Him, and contemplating our eternity with Him. Oh, the joy that produces in you. And finally, our pathway to joy shares the hope 
of eternal joy with others. And I don't know about you, I need this joy. But more than me, my family needs this joy. My neighborhood needs this joy. Those that are far from Christ that have yet to be awakened to their need for a Savior, they need this joy. And the only way they'll ever get it is if that cascading love from the Father to the Son, the Son to you and you to the world happens. May the joy Jesus gives you overflow in your heart. And may you live an obedient, abiding life pursuing Christ, sharing that message with the world. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that our definition of joy is rooted in the understanding of who you are and is not dependent upon circumstance. It's not dependent upon feeling or emotion. But Father, it's the delight and well-being that comes from knowing and serving you and contemplating our salvation and eternal life with you. Oh, that that would produce such joy in our hearts. Thank you for the promise you give us. Thank you that you reign forever. And because of that, we have joy. It's in your name that we pray.